This morning, the message is, Jesus loves me. Very familiar text, but we are grateful that um, it's one that I think we've, maybe as children, we uh, heard in, uh, in church or in uh, Sunday school or Bible school about how that God loves us. And especially we started John three sixteen and 17, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have, a, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to judge the world or condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. So the message of Christ, and you know, often we forget verse 17, that God did not come to condemn, he came to forgive. So condemnation and guilt are, if we can, they have to be connected to something that is wrong. You know, a sinful activity, not a, not a thought, shame-based um, activity, but a, a sinful activity, and in that we have to bring our faith in Christ to confess our sin, and he, if we, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins if we confess our sins. So it is, uh, the outline is there for us, but we begin with knowing that God loves me. Well, there's the story of a young, a young soldier who was shot on the battlefield. He was taken by a fellow soldier to safety, the wounded man shut his eyes and all of his past flashed before him. It seemed but an instant of time as he looked toward and saw eternity. So eternity was this great gulf ready to swallow him up. With the weight of so many sins in his life, he felt himself sinking deeper and deeper. When suddenly a lesson from his past was one that was taught by his mother as a little boy. This lesson stood before him in, as it were, in shining letters. It was a lesson he heard repeatedly again and again. The soldier in the choices of life, he had forgotten this choice. This story had been lost in the busyness of life and war, but it had never quite lost its hold on him. And now in the time of his Death, it, drew, it threw out to him a lifeline of mercy. It, what was the story? The verse that we had learned and just read in John 3.16, but he had learned as a child that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever, whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. He caught hold of this lifeline that seemed to be thrown out to him from heaven. He prayed, Lord, I believe. And he cried, God, save me, or I will perish. Our text for God so loved, or God loves me, is a familiar one. But did you know, <laughs> did you know that when, before Jesus Christ came into the world, that no one ever dreamed of God saying, God loves me. None of the idols and none of the gods that were created in all the empires of the Hittites and the um, Egyptians and all the um, gods, the Greek gods and all that, none of them ever spoke of the idea that they loved their people. And it was through this idea of Jesus and his love for mankind that 
man began to see or understand that God the Creator is the one who, who loves us. So when Jesus was with us, it was an, an incredible thought to think that God loves me. The psalmist and all of their beauty, they, was, they had glimpses of it, but never really came right out and stayed it. So it is this thought that God loves me that now, in our age, has, been, has come to be taken for granted. Without his love, it is life on our own. It is, I answer to no one but me. If God would remove his presence from us, if he would withdraw his hand from us, our breath would cease <laughs> and we would die. And we would find that without God, we are without hope. You see, God loved the world. <laughs> God loved the world. The world is us. The world is you. Here we have love expressed in its highest form. John surrounds this text with many, and he says in John 3, 19, and this is the verdict. The light has come into the world, but men love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. John 1, 4, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. John 3.36, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, but he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. So you see that there is this declaration that has come to us that we've heard or thought of over and over again or just simply rested in the knowledge that God loves me and so everything's okay. Well, Love is the highest form. It is the love of God. It is a common term, it is a common word that is used in our society over and over. And I know that we've said this before in the, uh, in the Aramaic language. There are four words for love. And there is the love of friendship, brotherly love, Philae, uh, Philadelphia. There is the parental love, Storge. There is the lustful love, Ergos, Eros. And the love of God for us is agape, that is the sacrificial love. It is the application of this love, this sacrificial love, that brings about the redeeming quality. You see, Jesus was willing to die for us to express his love for us. Whenever we take into consideration what he had to give up, what God gave up, he set aside his, his divinity and took on humanity. And in that humanity, he could have called upon this divinity. You know, whenever he was on the cross, he could have called the angels and said, you know, come rescue me, I'm done with this. And he destroyed the earth. But he didn't. He hung there and died there for the sins of humanity. He loved us. God so loved that he gave. And so as we pay attention to these, these, these qualities of God, we begin to see how much he loves each individual. Um, Do you ever look at the sky? <laughs> ever look at the clouds? I'm driving down the road, and Ron will say, look at that cloud. I said, I'm driving. <laughs> you know, it, isn't it beautiful? Yeah, it's beautiful. I, I really like it, you know. <laughs> but, uh, you know, just 
caught up with the clouds. And, and that's not a bad thing because some of them are quite beautiful and they're different. And, you know, the Bible says that, you know, the, that when Christ returns, he will return in the clouds of, of glory. So, you know, we look up in the clouds and, hey, Jesus is going to pop through there. You know, it's going to be here and gone. And we won't be able to say, hey, it will be gone, you know, so in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. So we, we look at this and we say at our life and we look at the clouds and we look at life and we wonder, okay, God, how long is it going to be till you return? How long is it going to be till you say enough's enough? You're all, my, my church and my people are coming out of here. But we don't know when that time will come. But until then, we must not take for granted how much God loves us. In Acts chapter 1, while they were steadfast looking in toward heaven as Jesus ascended, Behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into the heavens? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go. You see, knowing that God loves us is also knowing that he is coming back. Because he promised that I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am there you may be also. So God has come to prepare a place for us. And we also, you know, the scriptures talk about, we have, they overcome, we look at our life, we overcome by the blood of the Lamb. Evil cannot step on the blood of Jesus Christ. The devil cannot step on the blood of Christ. He can't step over it. Because it speaks of his death. Uh, speaks of his, the finality uh, of life and that eternal separation from God in hell and the lake of fire for him. And so evil cannot deal with the blood of Christ. And so the blood of Christ is our overcoming shield, the blood of the Lamb and our word of testimony. We've got to believe it and talk about it and, and experience it. God's love is like an oasis in the desert. <laughs> it's a place where we can find refreshment and water. God's love is like the tree branch that Moses took and threw into the water at Marah that we find that the children of Israel, they had just been through the Red Sea experience and into the desert a few days uh, or a short period of time, and what were they doing? <laughs> Grumbling and complaining. You know, grumbling and complaining. You know, as many people died in the desert from grumbling and complaining as died from old age. <laughs> so we find that the grumbling and complaining, uh, they just couldn't, couldn't deal with this. And so what do you do whenever you grumble and complain? You take it out on the guy who's leading. <laughs> and they, Moses, you brought us out here to die. And God says, take that branch over, that tree over there in a branch and throw it in the water and the water was changed from bitter to sweet. You see, love, the love of God can change our bitterness to sweetness. And that's a miracle. And it would be something, well, that can't be that simple. Well, how could it be so simple for God to take a tree, or Moses to be obedient and take a, a branch of a tree and throw it into bitter water, and the waters became sweet in which a few, a million or so people were able to drink. 
So in our lives, it is similar that the love of God brought into the hardness and experiences and bitterness of our own soul that God can come in and turn it around to forgiveness and a sweetness. So this bitterness of life can be changed by the divine love of God. A simple prayer of faith to forgive will remove the bitterness. Jesus, the Son of God, set aside his divinity to be God's lamb to take away the sin of the world, to take away the bitterness of sin. The Son's mission, Jesus, his mission is bound up in the supreme love of God. How can God express his love to us any more clearly than in John 3.16? God so loved the world. John 1.9 says, The true light coming into the world gives light to every man. Did you know that there is light in every man's soul, in every person's soul? God has put his knowledge and his knowledge and his um, creation and his conscience into, into people, but people rebel against their conscience. They rebel against what they see and they turn away from God. But he gave. I think it's one of the most important verses or important sections in the scripture. God gave. The entire gospel comes to that one, those that focus, that God gave. You know, and the idols in the Egypt and, and, and also the idols in the, the land of Israel, that those, those gods always demanded something from the people. They, they sacrificed their children. They sacrificed anything and everything in order to appease the gods. But the God of Abraham and Isaac, Jacob, it is the God that he speaks of here in, in, in John. He's saying, and God, and God gave. He gave. <laughs> he gave of himself. For you see, love draws people to him. Doesn't, put, doesn't place shields and barriers to prevent people from coming in. God's love breaks down barriers. He gave that we, would be, that we would come to him. You know, suppose I said that, I, I would say to you, I love, I love the people of India. And you say, well, well, I could not mean that I had any feeling for any individual in India because I don't know anyone in India. But only that I, in a mass, would say and pray for them as a group. Or manage them as, and manage to look at them as a nation. But it's not that way in which God loves. He loves all people because he loves each one. I can say I love India, but I don't know anyone there. God says I love the world, but the world to God is each individual person. It far, it far goes, it goes beyond, far beyond our abilities to think of so many people. It's hard to keep them all straight. I have to ask God, I have to ask God and Rhonda, <laughs> who is that? <laughs> you know? I get more answers from Rhonda than God, but you know. 
If I start telling you he's speaking to me everybody's name, you thought, yeah, these guys gone off the deep end. But, um, but we see that whenever God says he loves the world, we can't look at that as a mass. We have to look at it as individuals. And, and I always go back to that thought where this individual died and he went to heaven and he's there praying in the presence of God and he, he realizes that he and God are in this communication and he says, and he realizes then that there's all these people around him praying and then all the prayers of the earth that are coming up and he's looking and he's saying, God, how can you give to me your undivided attention? And the thought that comes to him in this moment was, there's enough of me that every person who has ever lived would come to me at the same time. I can give to each one of them my undivided attention. So in our life, we cannot put God in the concept of us. We have to recognize God loves and that he, he loves each of us individually. That whosoever believes in him shall not perish. The New Testament uh, and the subsequent Gospels, the world does not only mean righteous persons, but it means all mankind. The great truth taught here is that I may drag myself away from God, but I cannot drive God away from me. <laughs> I may drag myself away from God, but I cannot drive God away from me because he will forever love us until we have reached that point in which there is no return. Sin brought separation from God. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. And some people say that when we preach that Jesus Christ died for our sins, that God's wrath might not fall upon man, they believe our teaching is flawed and inconsistent because it says they misquoted and say, Christ came and so God loved but it's the other way around. God loved, so Christ came. <laughs> God so loved that he gave. So always in the context of, uh, of looking at God, we're looking at how he gives to us. The song, he giveth, he giveth, and he giveth again. <laughs> it, it speaks of God's love for us and how that God wants to do a work in our lives. And that we don't have the ability to collect all of this together in our lifetime because some of the things that God wants to impart are spiritual things. There's spiritual knowledge, it's spiritual realities. And those spiritual realities are like the tree going into the water to, make, to take away the bitterness and, with, and, and replace it and make it sweet. So the love of God comes into our life and takes away the bitterness and brings a sweetness to our spirit. It changes us. If God doesn't change us, then we, we don't have enough of God. We, don't, we haven't believed to the, the extent to what God wants, what he continues to want to give to us. In the Old Testament, do you remember the father who went on a journey with his son? And the son carried the wood and the fire. And when he was trampling over the mountains... He arrived at the place, and the father, and the son says to the father, here is the wood, and here is the fire, but where is the sacrifice? And Abraham said, the Lord will provide himself a lamb. You see, that story, I, I would like sometime to just do it again with 
all of the implications in place. But when Abraham was called to offer his son, you know, from the moment God says to offer him as a sacrifice, Abraham carried dead Isaac in his heart because to Abraham his son was dead. But they traveled a couple of days to the land of Moriah. I know you, I've heard this before, you've heard this before, but it's worth repeating. <laughs> the land of Moriah is the land where Jerusalem is. And it's, prob- it's no stretch of the imagination that Abraham built an altar and offered his, his son Isaac on the very mount that Jesus was crucified. And Abraham says, as he was about to kill his son, he believed in the resurrection because he knew that from his son would come the promise that God had given to him that all the nations of the world will be blessed through your children. He knew that Isaac was the one to, to bring the blessing of God into his life and his descendants. But little did he understand that he was the image of God the Father and God the Son, that he would die on that mountain a few 1,500 years later, and there Christ would rise from the dead just down the hollow, down the down the, this is where the back of the hill in a cave. You see, what does it take? What does it take? What does it take to, to look at life and, and believe that God is able to restore and to bring sweetness for bitterness, to bring forgiveness where there is hatred or pain? You see, Our text points to a thought, corresponding thought, that he gave his only begotten son. God gave of himself. God gave. And now we are able to estimate the greatness of this other little word that says so. God so loved the world. He loved so deeply, so wholly, so perfectly, that he gave his only begotten son. And the gift of the son is the only way to the father. No man cometh unto the father but by me. So God forges one step and we have to forge the other. God loved the world so he gave. God's work is done. He has given to us his son that whosoever believeth in him, that's our part, whosoever believeth, What will happen? Eternal life. For God so loved, verse 16 of John 3, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Shall not perish, but have eternal life. We know that Men do not need to wait until they die before they perish. (laughs) There are people, men and women, here and now, in this world, who are dead (laughs) while they live. Inside, they're full of dead men's bones. (laughs) They're lost in a cell of guilt and remorse and hatred and vengeance. They're blind to any need but their own and their selfish and self-concepts. 
And when they die, they perish into eternal separation from God, the second death. But you do not need to be physically dead in order to be blessed by God. We know that heaven awaits us, but we know that God has promised his blessing upon our life, that whosoever believeth in him, that there are many things that God wants to bring into our life and to change us. So we leave uh, our, our, we leave our problems with God. We leave our past with God. We have a present and we have a future. We have everlasting life through Jesus Christ. So to lay hold of him, to lay hold of Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life, and that we have Jesus Christ in our hearts, then we have life eternal. We have eternal life starting now because I live with him and I shall never die. Well, what about this flesh will perish, but I will never die. Death will be that stepping stone, that door to eternity, and that my soul will live forever because of my relationship with Jesus Christ. We have eternal life. What do I need to fear what the world can do to me? I have peace with God. I have peace. I am at peace for eternity. God is with me. Jesus, like the soldier said, forgive me or I perish. We do not need to wait until a time of, of desperation. We do not need to live our life in running from, but opening our heart to God. You see, excuse me. We are first of all delivered. <laughs> when we confess our faith, we are delivered from eternal death. I have sinned. But we can be invested with eternal life. In Christ I am made alive. So I have separated eternal death. God has separated eternal death from my life. I no longer need to fear what God will do to me because I am his and he is mine and eternity is a, a place where we will spend it with God. For God so loved the world, so loved the world. Do you know who the world is? It is you. <laughs> For God so loved you. He gave his son. Jesus died on the cross for you. And if we, you and I, one of us, were the only person to have ever lived, Jesus would have died for us. Because God does not want to have anyone spend an eternity without him. It is not the will of God that any should perish. It is not the will of God that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. God wants every one of us to spend an eternity with him. But you know, people forget. They're so busy with life, they don't think of union with Christ. And we, maybe they've heard that, that song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. They've heard it, they know it, but it's somewhere in their past. That's for kids. <laughs> No, it's for all of us. 
to remember how much God loves us, how much God wants to, how much God has invested in our life. He has invested himself to the point that he died for us that we might have life and not only have forgiveness, but that we would have the blessing of God on our life, that we would have the gifts of God working in our life, that we would have the fruits of God's spirit being part of our life because we can live this life knowing that it's God who lives in me and not me myself. On my own, I can really blow it. (laughs) On my own, I can really mess up. And I get reminded of that every once in a while, (laughs) sometimes more often than I like. But uh, I get reminded of that. So I need to back up and say, okay, let's do this again, David. Let's look at God has invested in our life. And this investing and this walking is part of who we are and who God is in us because God loves me. For God so loved the world, he gave himself. Jesus Christ died for me. That whosoever believeth in him, that David believes in him, I will not perish because I have eternal life. Amen? Jesus, forgive me, or I perish. Then we have the investment of God's Spirit and His Word into our life. Jesus, we thank you for hearing our prayers. We thank you for your Word that speaks to us of your great love. God, we confess our sins. We ask you to forgive us. We ask, O God, that you will write our name in your book of life. You do not want us to perish, but God, you want us to live with you for eternity. And it's not only for eternity when we die, it is the investment of your spirit and your word in us in this life that we can grow in our knowledge of our Lord and Savior, that we can experience the greatness of your blessing upon us that you created us for a purpose and it is a divine purpose and we want your spirit to work through us. God, we yield ourselves to you. We ask, O God, your blessing. We ask, O God, your word to dwell in us richly. God, we pray that you will make yourself real to us through your scripture, through your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a most blessed day. (laughs) Amen.